Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. So with me today on another episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast, is Misha Smith, the sales director from Pastor Street Brewing Company. How are you doing today? Good, Neil. How are you? Pretty good. Not too bad. And so uh, how's things going at Pastor? Going well. Um, yeah, we're just about to open a location in Hoi An that we're really excited about. And uh, for me, just getting the beer out to as many people as I can across the country. Would you say that you have a dream job? Uh, yeah, without <laughs> without sounding too trite or cliche about it, uh, 100%. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that I was training my whole life for this specific <laughs> job, uh, but that's how it turned out. I I can drink a lot and I can talk to people and uh, I can convince people that our beer. Well, I don't have to do much convincing. The beer the beer kind of speaks for itself. It is good beer. Mm. Uh, so we'll get into the beer in a mi- in a minute. So seven million bikes is all about people who live here, uh, both expats and locals find out a bit about the background and then um, also find out like what it's like to live in Saigon because we've talked about it on previous episodes. Saigon's just a crazy place to live, right? Absolutely. And it's got, uh, it's definitely unique and it's challenging and it can be confronting, but ultimately I found after three years it is a good place to be. So let's go backwards though. So um, you're from Canada? Yes. Whereabouts in Canada? Uh, Sarnia, Ontario. And would you agree that Canadians are the politest people on the planet? Uh, Except for me. (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've been told uh, people who don't know where I'm from 
Uh, they sometimes describe me to my friends as, oh, he's, he's the most polite American I've ever met. Um, but then people who know me also, uh, he's the rudest Canadian I've ever met, which I feel like is about is about right. That's about on par. It's an accurate description. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so uh, where you're in the beer industry in Canada. Uh, my last job in Toronto uh, before I moved to Asia was uh, bartending at a, a little brew pub called Mill Street Brewery. Uh, it's not little anymore. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was there the first summer they were open. And that's where I really uh, got a taste for craft beer. I like the pun. I got a taste I for craft beer. It was unintentional. <laughs> I, I hate puns. Um, I, I actually love puns. I love dad jokes <laughs> as well. Yeah, that's terrible. the Scottish and Irish thing I find. <laughs> I'm like one of those people that likes the jokes and Christmas crackers. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we can move on quickly yeah. from that at least. Um, what were you doing at the craft brewery in Canada? Uh, I, was, I was working uh, at the at the pub. I was uh, serving and bartending. And so, what's the craft beer like scene like in Canada? Obviously, it's massive in America. The West Coast, it's huge. Uh, it's new here in Saigon. Mm. In Canada, how developed is it? So, this is about ten years ago that I was working there, and uh, like I said, it was the first summer that that brewery was open, and um, it was still pretty new. Uh, at the time, not not in terms of the length, because craft beer had been around for a while, but it wasn't hugely popular until until around that time. It was really just starting to take off uh, then, at least in where I was from in, in uh, Ontario. Um, but yeah, now it's obviously it's huge. Ten years later, it's the same as everywhere. You know, the craft beer takes off everywhere it goes. That's true, right? It's like a, just can't, once it starts, mm. it can't stop. But there's kind of like a limit, right? Like it. It kind of has a bit of a glass ceiling, doesn't it? It's well, never going to be like 100% craft beer, right? Uh, well, yeah, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, having having said that, uh, we're nowhere near the limit, either in Saigon or anywhere else. I mean, you know, Vietnam is, is a beer-drinking country, and we've got just a tiny, tiny, tiny mm. percentage of the of the market. But in not America, just right? Street, but craft beer in general, it's... It's such a small piece of the pie. There's mm. so much room to grow still. But in America, it's kind of topped out almost. I think I remember reading about that. Like yeah. the, the, it grew so fast, and then it's kind of now plateaued a bit. Sure, you'd have to talk to an American about <laughs> that. I, I'm not. I'm not really keyed into the American craft beer scene. Because I was uh, quite into the. So I lived in New Zealand before here, and was really into the craft beer scene in Wellington. Like it's unbelievable. Lived in downtown. There was, I think, like six, seven, eight, maybe ten, I can't remember, like craft beer breweries within walking distance of my apartment in downtown Wellington. And so in Wellington, <clears throat> my wife and I, we invested in a craft brewery okay. in New Zealand called Renaissance, or Renaissance, depending on your pronunciation. <laughs> my wife and I would disagree on that. And uh, we put in a couple of thousand New Zealand dollars, partly because if you put in at that level, you got free create a beer every year right well, like, beauty yeah. sweet long term investment yeah and uh, you know we wanted to be part of it we wanted to see it grow they needed new equipment things like that anyway fast forward we then end up leaving New Zealand to come to Asia for just for a year but we end up being here for three years so every year we've been giving away our free crate mm. of craft beer to our friends you know because we get it anyway but like well you guys can have it and then last year start to get some emails that didn't look too good and eventually <laughs> It went out of business. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's the risk of a <laughs> free beer for life. <laughs> the <it>. company <laughs> got, uh, went into insolvency, got liquidated. All the investors lost their money. 
We got one free crate of beer out of that because we'd been given the other crates away. Sure. Um, eventually, the company was bought up, reopened under the same brand with the same staff in the same premises. But, but all the investors lost their money. So we got burned badly on that. So I don't think we'll be investing anytime soon. And uh, anything that's a, that's really. a shame because I uh, I've got a I've got a not nice. <laughs> So yeah, I got my fingers burned a little bit by that. But yeah, for sure, like here, obviously, it's a tiny piece of the market. But the reason I brought that up was because I remember going to the investors meeting and they were talking about how in America it kind of plateaued, but the room for growth in New Zealand was still huge. That's why we invested. Sure. <laughs> um, but they were saying it probably will get to a point where, you know, it will plateau in each country because the big guns are, are so big. And also people have a taste for like the traditional beers right but obviously here in Vietnam there's massive massive room for growth right absolutely yeah and there's still more players coming into it we're just scratching the surface yeah Yeah, for sure you guys are doing pretty well right and so things were going alright in Canada then what made you leave Canada how did you end up in Saigon um well I I I got fired from the the brewery that I was working at um and I'd been out of school for about a year um, and I just didn't really want to keep going through the, the F&B scene. I worked at a bunch of restaurants while I was going through school. Um, uh, yeah, and I thought about teaching overseas for a long time, and the timing was never right, and then all of a sudden it just was, uh, and I moved to Korea, South Korea, uh, for what I thought was going to be a year. I ended up staying for four and a half years, um, and then I came to Saigon on vacation a couple times while I was living over there to visit some friends, and I just fell in love with Saigon, Vietnam, the city, like... I, I knew I knew once I got here that this is where I belonged, so I went back, finished my contract in Korea, and um, yeah, moved here, and that's how I got to Saigon. And so what was it like living in Korea then? I visited Korea, but... Uh, I... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I lived in two different cities, and they were smaller... They weren't, like, the countryside, but they were small cities. And... Uh, it was an experience. I, I enjoyed it. I met some of my best friends in the world there. Um, I, I prefer it here. What, why do you prefer it here then? I just I don't want to say anything bad about Korea. It was, I lived there for a long time. Uh, but I just... Saigon, there's so much more energy, so much more excitement. Like, it's, the, the feeling is palpable when you're here. Like, it's... You know, when I went back after my after my two visits to Korea, and my friends were like, well, how's Vietnam? And I was just gushing about it. And I'm like, oh, what's so good about it? And I was like... You know, like the food, the nightlife, the the people, everything, but like just the, the energy. I just kept saying the energy, and I couldn't really describe it. But all of those friends who have come to visit me here now, they as soon as they get here, they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, like you know, it's it's something that you can't quite put your finger on. But the first time I was here for two weeks, I just had this goofy grin on my face the whole time. I was just so happy, and I was like, what? I, was like, I don't know. It's great. I just love it here. It's definitely an energetic city, and I think that can be both negative and positive, right? Sure. And so when you come, I think in the beginning I was the same. I came for a visit before we came to live here, and just loved it. You know, I don't, again, you can't really describe it. Mm, it's just yeah. it's Vietnam. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. I think everybody's the same that comes here, right? Yeah. Well, you are. You're like it depends on your mileage, right? Like definitely some people. I I live with some people in Korea who had been here, and they're like, "Oh, you liked Saigon? I hated it." And I can understand why someone wouldn't enjoy the city, but. The, those people are very different from me, personality-wise. Like I, it's just it suits me to a T. Like, and you know, when you've traveled, like when you've traveled a bit, you just have a certain feeling about certain places. And you, and when you get to a place that that suits your personality, you know, like you just know automatically, like yeah, this is me right here. I love it. 
And so how long after your visit did you, you went back to Korea and you were like, right, I'm moving to Saigon? Uh, well, I, I, I came back for a second visit just to make sure. Because uh, <laughs> we always joked when I was living in South Korea, we always used to joke that uh, any trip out of Korea was the best trip of your life because you're getting out of Korea for a bit. <laughs> That was Moscow. Oh, it was great. It was, it was, uh, it was really cold and fantastic. Um, so, yeah, no, I came back a second time just to make sure um, that I still felt the same way and that it wasn't just, a, a, you know, like a, whatever, like a fleeting romance. Like a summer fling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah fleeting romance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I felt the same way the second time. Uh, and then I, so I went back, finished my contract, uh, went home for a couple months, uh, back to Canada, and then, yeah, moved uh, moved here for good been here for almost six years now wow six years so you must have seen so much change in the city yeah well yeah i mean when you when you're here you don't notice it so much you know if you like if you're here and you leave and you come back six years later i'm sure it would be like oh my god so much has changed and to a certain extent i would say the same thing yeah a lot's changed um but yeah when you're here every day it's just it's not it's not as noticeable because it's so gradual um but of course yeah so much has changed in six years Especially in the food and beverage industry, because yeah. I feel like in three years I've been here, mm. you know, so much is here now. Yeah, no, I was just talking to a couple of uh, friends last night, bar and restaurant owners, and uh, yeah, we're just talking about, I mean, we know, we see it. I don't think the the rest of the world has caught on yet that Saigon has become such a great foodie city and mm. beer city, And but uh, you know, hopefully eventually people will. It's, I mean, it's still a huge tourist destination, but I don't think people realize how, how great the Saigon food scene has gotten yet if you don't live in Saigon so it'll be exciting to to see more and more people coming and enjoying uh, just what an amazing city it is and what how great the the food scene has become like you said I've been really bad in the last kind of year or so because just eating more and more western food yeah. and the food in Vietnam is amazing like Vietnamese food is so famous and so good but I find myself more and more eating Mexican food all the time I had someone say to me recently oh there's no good Mexican food in Saigon and my like jaw hit the floor. I was yeah. like, "Wait, what? Are you kidding?" I was like, "There's so much good Mexican food," and I won't say the name of the place, but she'd only been to one okay. Mexican place and didn't know about the rest. And I like listed them all. She's now been to nearly all of them. Mm. District Federal's her favorite, which I agree is it's fantastic, the, the best probably. The food and the mugs there are amazing. Mm. But yeah, and so I find myself more and more just eating non-Vietnamese food. And sometimes I have to remind myself and my wife, like. We gotta eat some Vietnamese food. I'm, I'm the exact same way. <laughs> when I first moved here, I was just all street food all the time, like so delicious. And it, I mean, obviously, it's still it's, this food's still just as good as it was back then. Uh, but yeah, we're just so spoiled for choices now. Like, what do you feel like? Oh, Italian, Mexican, Japanese, you know, whatever you want. You can get a Thai. I was laughing this morning because uh, in, in the first episode, we talked to J.K. Hobson, and his one of his favorite foods was uh, barca. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask you about your favorite foods at the end, but. Um, so this morning, actually, was out for breakfast, and I had barca. Because we talked about it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I haven't had that in ages. And as I was eating it near the end, I was like, just had beef stew for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and totally normal, right? I was like, this is, you know, when you've been in Asia for so long, when this is a completely normal occurrence. Yeah. And I thought about my younger self or my friends, and you're like, <clears throat> oh, do you want to have beef stew for breakfast? Mm. So one of my favorite stories about uh, just adjusting to food in Asia... Like you said, beef stew for breakfast. Uh, the the school that I worked at in Korea, we had uh, we had school lunches every day. We made lunch for the kids. The teachers got the same lunch, and it was different every day. But the, we always got a big bowl of rice. And we always got the little squares of seaweed on the side. 
and about a year and a half into my school there, um, we were sitting, about five of us around the table, all uh, Canadian, Irish, uh, U.S. teachers, and we were debating uh, which was the best of the different brands of seaweed that we got. And it was just a real, like... <laughs> um, if you'd told me two years ago that I'd be sitting here <laughs> on this little plastic chair debating the merits of different kinds of square seaweed, I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I wouldn't have believed you. So... Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's like when you know I've been living here for... Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. proper Asian. Like, <laughs> when, and we talked about as well when I spoke to JK as well, like, not all Vietnamese food is equal, right? So there's, like, everyone knows pho. Mm. But there's good pho and bad pho, right? Like, for sure. And when you get here longer, you're like, oh, yeah, I won't go to that place because it's not good enough. You get your spots, right? No, absolutely, yeah. It's like, yeah, Korean people ask me, like, do you like kimchi? Like, I like good kimchi. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad kimchi around. Right. Um, yeah, no, same way here, obviously, like... You know, you can get banh mi anywhere, but, like, the the perfect banh mi is as good as anything you'll ever eat in your life. Yeah, it's so true. I've kind of gone off banh mi a bit, because it's just, there is a lot of bad banh mi. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't eat it very much anymore, but, yeah, when I first got here, my friend Sean, who I was coming to visit, there was a little banh mi shop around the corner from the house where he lived, and that's still the best banh mi sandwich I've ever had in my life. It's just nice roasted pork, the, the baguette nice and fluffy, and... Yeah, as whenever I'm in the neighborhood, I go by and get a banh mi from there. I was the same when, when I first got here. Every day, without fail, banh yeah. mi. Every day. And not so much anymore. So what would be your ideal banh mi? What's the ingredients? You said the fluffy bread. Yeah, just the the, the, the hawaii, like the roasted pork, uh, cucumber, just a little bit of cilantro, the, the, some onions, and the, the soy sauce, and a little bit of spicy sauce, and off to the races. And you missed the key ingredient. What's that? Pickled veg. Yeah... Uh, no, not nah, the pickled nah. veg for me. Uh, the best man me has everything that you described there, but pickled veg as yeah. well. Okay. And then the worst one is when they just throw an egg in it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just egg and bread. Well, I mean, I, I've had banh mi opla for breakfast before, and it was great from the right banh mi purveyor. Um, but yeah, if it's if you're not ordering banh mi opla and they just throw an egg on top for no reason, it's like well, that's not what. I think this is an idea for a, a new side podcast where we just talk about banh mi. The, the banh mi trail? What are, we didn't come up with a name. The... <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> you got here six years ago. I, can, I can't imagine how different it would have been in terms of even buildings, right? Like, the, there's construction is, in, is going up so fast. Food and beverage, there wasn't many restaurants. Definitely no beer, right? No good beer. No good beer at the time, no. I remember the first time I saw Heineken on draft, I was excited. That's how bad the beer scene was. Uh, oh, that's a low. Yes. <laughs> well, it was all Tiger and San Miguel at the time. It's like, oh, Heineken, okay. We are so spoiled here in Saigon. Like, now. Now. No. 100%. Yeah. Now. And yeah, at the time, there were some nice restaurants. Like It wasn't like there was no Western restaurants when I got here. Um, but obviously nowhere near the uh, the amount that we have now. Mm. And so what what was the biggest challenge that you found in the beginning of living here because I, I found and I've talked about this in the beginning like I couldn't wait to leave the first year I really did it yeah I was counting down the days I was like when are we going I want to go back to New Zealand like sure it was just too much and there's a few reasons you know uh, like health was one of them and I couldn't get proper health care things like that it was nothing serious it was like a back injury but yeah I was couldn't wait to leave and now I'm like a complete 180 where I like literally like just 
even this morning when I'm out for breakfast, I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and did you have that? No, that, that's just me. Because I've spoke, spoken to other people and they've kind of had similar experiences. Sure. Well, I, you know, like I said, I'd been here already, so I, I knew what I was signing up for. I'd already lived in Asia for a long time. For me, it was it was an upgrade coming here from right. Korea. So, no, I mean, the, to be honest, and I'm not just saying this uh, to be self-serving, but the lack of good beer was the only thing for me that was missing in Saigon at the time. I was I was drinking gin most nights um, just because, you know, when you first get here, like a cold uh, glass of Tiger for, uh, what, a dollar? It's like, okay, great. But, you know, after a couple months of drinking just, you know, generic lagers, it's, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember coming the first time here and the first beer I had was Ba 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 mm. and thought it was fine. So, yeah, this is good. It was like 15,000, so that's like 70 cents yeah. or something like that yeah. and then you drink LaRue which is like 12,000 dong so yeah. you know like nearly 60 cents you're like this is fun but then yeah it, it gets tired it yeah. gets thin pretty you get quickly you sick of drinking cheap beer pretty yeah, quickly yeah. if that's all you have access to yeah exactly so did you come here then as an English teacher yeah that's what I was doing in Korea and uh, and when I came over here just one of the one of the like low key things that I really liked about Saigon was I was meeting people from all over the world doing all different interesting things like in Korea, if you were a foreigner, at least the cities I lived in, you were either a teacher or a U.S. military, and that was it. Nobody was doing anything else. Um, so yeah, I didn't know what at the time, but I did definitely feel like moving here that there were going to be opportunities to maybe do something besides teaching eventually. Worked out all right. So tell us then, how did you end up getting into working for Pasto Street? Yeah, so I'd been here about a year and a half uh, when I saw an, an ad on Facebook for Pasto Street Brewing Company, and I was just like, craft beer in Saigon wow this is, this is exactly what I needed and it was it was advertising the opening date as one week later <laughs> it was a Friday which was my only day off at the time and I was like oh, a week I have to wait a week for <laughs> like a week ago I didn't know this would ever exist in my life and now that I know I'm so excited I need to so uh, it was a long week and then yeah I was there the first day they were open uh, apparently I was the third person through the door um, and yeah it was only four beers at the time and Jasmine IPA was one of them, and I was just—I'm an IPA guy. It was just, oh my god, it was so good. And yeah, I just—I hung around. Um, I started out. Uh, I just talked to Bethany, uh, one of the co-founders, who was working behind the bar at the time. Uh, I told her I had cra- some craft beer experience. If she needs some help behind a bar, I'd be happy to do it for for free beers. Um, and she was like, she's thinking about it. And I think the second or third Friday I was there, uh, they didn't have any food yet. There was no kitchen. So I stayed long enough that I had to order from Vietnam MM three different times from three different places. And uh, Bethany told John, one of the other co-founders, about this. And he was like, oh, yeah, hire that guy for sure. Like, <laughs> Give him a job. Um, and that was it. Just started out working one night a week behind the bar for free beer. And for me, that was, that was the height of my ambition. I, I was so happy. That was just, you know, pulling pints and just talking to people. And it was great. And then, so what happened after that? Because now you're sales director for the country. Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, so uh, you just kept, like I took it seriously. I was working, like I said, one night a week, still teaching six nights a week. Um, and yeah, eventually they they started paying me with money, and not just beer. And then so I took a couple more shifts behind the bar and a few less shifts teaching. Um, and then. Uh, a few months later, uh, our original sales guy, he quit. John was doing it for a while, and he's the CEO of the company. He's also our like 
domestic sales rep who was, he was a little bit beneath his position at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So yeah, he asked me if I wanted to do the job, and I was just like, I, I don't have any background in sales, I, I wouldn't know what to do, and he's like, ah, oh, just drink beer and tell people how good our beer is. I'm like, I can do that. Um, and is that a reality? No, he, he kind of <laughs> he, he kind of sold me on the sales job. Uh, there's a lot more emails <laughs> than I ever would have guessed. Uh, but no, I mean, it, it's, you know, you do the parts that you have to do so that you get to do the parts that you like to do. Um, and I wouldn't, like I said, it's, I wouldn't change anything. It's a dream job. Uh, I, some days I have to remind myself, like, they're paying you to drink beer. Like, just do the <laughs> do the other work <laughs> and don't complain. You know, it's it's a pretty great job. And, and what uh, what's, like, some of the feedback you get from friends back home or anything when they see what you do? Oh, they think it's mad. Like especially the kind of the state of mind I was in before I left I was I was uh I was not being a responsible adult <laughs> my last little while in Canada I was I was partying a lot and uh just not I was just in a kind of a bad place you know I'd been out of school for a while and I wasn't really happy with the fact that I was still bartending and I was kind of taking that out on myself um so yeah like when my friends like they give you responsibilities? Like, you've got an expense account? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, so when, obviously when they come to visit, they see that, yeah, I'm working. It's not just all fun and games. Like, there is <laughs> there is a professional side to it, and I've kind of matured a little bit uh, in the 10 years I've been abroad. Because there's that thing, right, because you're very active on social media, hmm. and you're always posting, basically drinking beer, right? Promoting the brand, yeah. Promoting the brand. And um, we've talked about this before, about the the difference... I was talking to somebody recently about it, the difference between reality, like Instagram... Yes. ...and social media. So the difference between what we see on social media and then what is the reality, right? Yeah. And so I guess that's what people don't see the reality of your job is emails and... Sure. Spreadsheets and... Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not gonna post a picture on Facebook of me, like... Yeah. Taking a call from a from a client who's upset because you know the the, the coupler won't fit into the keg or or yeah like me you know <laughs> working on spreadsheets. No, one of the <laughs> so I've got a client in Hanoi who uh, usually when I go up there to see him, I uh, it's, it's usually one of my last stops of the night because it's a nice bar and you know he's a, he's a friend as well as a client. What bar is this? Uh, the Moose and Rue Smokehouse. Um. So yeah, usually by the time I get there, I'm just having a few beers and talking and everything. I went for lunch one day, and the owner was behind the bar. I pulled out my laptop and started banging out emails, and he's just like, Oh, you do work. <laughs> but if you follow on social media, it's like, all he does is drink beer. Right, well, and, and for me, I've always said, like, if if people think that all I do is drink beer, then I'm I'm doing a good job of, of you know, promoting the brand and myself and the lifestyle and... I do want to see a post this week of you working at a computer with a spreadsheet. Uh, yeah, done. Sure. <laughs> joking. <laughs> so, Vietnam's famous for cheap beer. Yeah. Like, dirt cheap beer, right? But it comes at a price of quality. And the craft beer is unbelievable quality, but it's expensive, relatively. What would you say to people that are kind of like, well, no, Vietnam's meant to be cheap beer. I've seen people post this online, you know, it's too expensive. Mm. What's your response to that? Well, like you said, it's all relative. So my friend that I was drinking with last night, he just got back from Australia. He's like, this is 
cheap. <laughs> this is really cheap. He's drinking our Irish stout, and he's like, this is an amazing beer, and it'll be at least twice the cost in Australia. Three times, maybe. So, yeah, it is all relative, and, you know, we didn't... When we... Well, when we... When John and Alex and Bethany, when they started the company, it wasn't about getting rich or making a cash grab or... You know, they set the the retail price where they had to set it to in, in order to one day become profitable as a company. And and I think there's a, there's still maybe a certain segment of the local population, the local expat population, who think that everybody at Pasteur Street and everybody at Kwanudu is just like sitting on piles of money and laughing to the bank. It's not like that at all. You know, we're we're still small companies struggling to to make it happen. And the fact that we're expanding quickly is just you know keeping up with demand and also trying to to be sustainable and <clears throat> excuse me so yeah i mean it's you know the over the overheads of running a brewery are, are massive mm-hmm. so and the the cost of quality ingredients are huge so yeah it's <sighs> and is that what puts the price up is it the ingredients then mo- mostly it, or like, what uh, makes it it's, more it's the raw so ingredients it's the labor it's, it's the you know the cost of running a brewery and a distribution system and these different tap rooms um it's it's everything and i'm not i'm not crying poor again i i <laughs> i love my job i'm doing well i'm happy um but yeah to be sustainable you know we have to charge a premium price now, i'm going to ask you a question later which uh, what I'm about to say now might answer that question, but we'll see what your what your answer is. One of the things that um, I think is amazing and it always surprises me is when you go into Pastoral Street or Beer Craft or any of these Western places which do cost at a premium price, it's filled with Vietnamese people, like more Vietnamese people than expats. So it's not like just an expat thing. And I think that people get surprised. Vietnam, the perception from abroad is it's a war-torn poor country, right? Right. And that's true in some respects. There are problems, and there are there is severe poverty here, but also it's climbing out of poverty in one, uh, one of the fastest growing economies in the world. So there are lots of local people who can enjoy that lifestyle, right? Yes. And I don't know what my point is to that, but, <laughs> but I think it's refreshing because you go in and, and maybe you, if someone's visiting or maybe you just think, oh, it's just all these expats that are living it up here. But it's right. actually not you're servicing and providing a, a service to the local community. Sure, as well, yeah, right? no, especially when we uh, when we first opened, uh, and I was working behind the bar. I remember a lot of uh, younger Vietnamese guys, like you know, mid twenties to late twenties, a lot who had been abroad and who had had craft beer before. They were just so excited to be in the bar. Uh, you know, they'd be like sitting by by the window, and they'd come up to me behind the bar, like. You guys make this beer? This is you, you guys make this here? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, dude, thank you so much. This is awesome. Like, this is great. Um, and yeah, for for us, the whole thing was to use fresh local ingredients to make like real Vietnamese craft beer. And that's uh, you know, use Vietnamese coffee, Vietnamese chocolate, uh, you know, different Vietnamese fruits and, and spices. You know, we really want to to locate it in Vietnam. And yeah, that really appealed to. To uh, to the local Vietnamese mm-hmm. that they to give them a sense of pride about you know the, uh, how good something locally made could be and that we could then send it out to the world and say this this comes from v- this comes from Vietnam this, look at how good this is and I think it, like every country the generation is changing the younger generation is different to the older generation right so in Vietnam I think 
they have the highest consumption of beer in the world. One of the highest. It's like eight billion liters of beer yeah, a year they consume. I think like top five per capita. Yeah. I, yeah, don't quote me on that. But, but I think that's changing, right? That's like the older generation where you see the guys on the street with like a crate of tiger. Just, well, yeah, and but the younger generation now are more enjoying like craft beers and yeah, yeah, they've got a taste for something better. And once you get, you know, it's like. Uh, it's like hamburgers and steak. Yeah, if you if you've only eaten hamburgers all your life, you think hamburger is the greatest thing in the world. Once you have a nice, perfect, medium rare ribeye, it's like, oh yeah, no, that's better. Yeah. So we're gonna finish up with the same questions that I ask in every episode. Cool. Are we going like lightning round style or no? No. Okay. All right. You can take your time. Okay. So first question is, what are your top three foods in Vietnam? Um. Yeah. It. I mean, there's a reason that. Pho is the most popular and most well-known Vietnamese food is because it's the best. Um, especially, like, you know, when I'm sick, a bowl of pho ga is better than any bowl of chicken noodle soup I've ever had in my life. Um, and the best way to prevent a hangover in Vietnam is to get a bowl of pho ba on your way home from the bar. It's fills you up nicely. It's, oh, it's perfect. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm, I like noodles a lot. So, like, you know, bun cha, bun ba hui, bun tet nung, like, those are all my go-to Vietnamese dishes. For me on the way home, it's bok chien. I don't even know what that is. It's else. like the deep fried rice flour. Oh, okay. You had that, seen that? That doesn't... You should get that. Yeah? So good. So fattening though. It's like yeah. it's like fried <laughs> in like pork lard or something like no, that. No, that's it. I mean, like, yeah, when I'm... After I've had a lot to drink, like just the... the I, I wouldn't think of eating it except for, you know, Western fast food. And this is this is also the best way to to avoid that is just go for the pho bar. Yeah. On the way home, like big bowl of broth, noodles, beef, like... So top three, number one for yeah, two, three. Uh, Buntit Nung would be number two, and then yeah, Buncha. When I go to Hanoi, there's a great little place close to our tap from there. That's I've had Buncha down here, and it's good. But the the stuff in Hanoi is, I mean, that's where it's from. That's Buntit Nung, Buncha, yeah, two of my favorite. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, what's your favorite bar and beer? We ask this to everybody. Yeah, I feel like we need a stipulation here that it's not. You can't say past through for this. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, but maybe is that is that your favorite bar and beer? Um, I mean, it, it's home, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I'm going home when I go to any one of our tap rooms. Um, but anybody who knows me uh, will tell you that Malt is my favorite bar in Saigon. Uh, Forty Six Mac T Boy. They they've got usually five plus of our beers on tap at any time. Um, it's just it's just so cozy and nice. And when they open, there was. Like, now you can get a similar vibe to Malt at different bars around the city. At the time they opened, there was nothing like that. It was all, like, you know, the Pastor Street uh, girly bars or, like, really expensive rooftop bars, and there was really nothing in between. And it, it sounds crazy to say that now, but it's it's true. Um, <clears throat> it's how much the scene has changed. Like, I completely agree. Yeah, I'm just yeah, thinking yeah. back when I came here three years ago. It was like Malt was the closest place to, like... Uh, American bar or like yeah, a, a, a nice pub that you could sit down yeah, and relax like a pub, and like yeah. men and women could go together and not feel uncomfortable and yeah. like every, it's it had something for everyone and uh, yeah just another quick story so at the time uh, emergency room I don't know if you know yeah, yeah I love the emergency room kind of a weird bar but the the pizza and the chicken wings were awesome yeah it was a weird bar but it was cool right? yeah, yeah, yeah. well it. when Matt Ryan was running it yeah. it, it was uh, <laughs> before he started there and then after he left it was the, <laughs> The difference in quality was noticeable. Um, but yeah, so uh, I was closing the bar on Friday nights and a couple other nights, and I'd usually go to the emergency room after because I could get, you know, a pizza or some chicken wings, something to eat. Uh, the kitchen was open late. Uh, and when I met Matt 
King, the owner of Malt, with his wife. Uh, the first time I met him at Pasteur Street, uh, another friend of ours, Jeff Pajalski, was sitting uh, around the end of the bar. Matt's describing the concept of malt to me, and I'm like, it sounds amazing. Like, this sounds great. And he wants to put a couple of our beers on. And uh, Jeff pipes up from around the corner, like, if you really want your bar to be successful, you got to get Misha to go there every night instead of emergency room after he gets off work here. And obviously that's not the only reason that malt's been successful, but that's exactly what happened. As soon as they opened, I was yeah. just... I was over to Malt every night, and I'd get a, a spinach and artichoke dip instead of uh, instead of the pizza and the chicken wings at emergency room. And that that spinach and artichoke dip is that's really still, good. Yeah, still class dishes. Even my mom and dad visited uh, about eighteen months ago, and they loved Malt. Mm. They like we had to go back because they loved the shuffleboard, they loved yeah. the beers, the atmosphere, and they were like, "Can we go back to Malt tonight?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, let's go." Well, and that's. Any any age, any gender, any you know, any style like it's just it's malt's got something for everyone. It's a great bar. And then so what's your favorite pastel street beer and your favorite non pastel street beer? Sure. So uh, our double IPA is is still my favorite beer that we've ever done. Strong, hoppy, it gets you it gets you where you need to go. <laughs> can't have too many though. Uh well you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, definitely no. <laughs> I remember one night, uh, I just the, the the phrase "double IPA all day" came into my head, and we were we were at uh, the D1 tap room with some of my friends, and I was buying around a double IPAs for everyone, uh, and then some of them tried to order something else for the second beer, and I was like, no, 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 double IPA all day. Uh, <laughs> so we were getting into it, and uh, and then I got a call from my boss at the time. He's like, oh, we're bringing uh, some people down from the from the production facility. Uh, are you, are you at the tavern? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, it's it's kind of an important, you know, like be on your best behavior. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> a bunch of doubles at the time. They all come down. We're we're sitting upstairs, and I'm still just housing double IPAs. And uh, I I remember I was really charming. I was just on my on definitely on my best behavior. Um, but yeah, now in our D two tavern, that's on the wall, double IPA all day and. <laughs> And what what is it, what is the strength of the double IPA? Eight point seven percent. Eight point seven. Yeah, yeah. I can a nice, have a nice sessionable one of, double IPA. One of them. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite daytime place to drink or hang out in in Saigon? Um, whew. the Boathouse in District Two is a great uh, daytime spot, just on the river. Nice, calm, quiet. Obviously, they have a few of our beers on tap. Uh, they have great Bloody Marys, uh, great margaritas. It's the first time the boathouse has come up, and I've been waiting for it. Okay, that's my favorite place without a doubt. Yeah, well, that was one of the the boathouse is one of the uh, one of the original. Like it was here long before I moved here. You know, it's like I said when when I first moved here, there wasn't as many choices now, obviously, but there were some good ones. And yeah, the boathouse has been a, a standby for a long time. Uh, it's just a great little spot in D two. Mm. Uh, the food's really good nowadays, and yeah, the drinks are excellent. It's, and the, the view, you know. Well, I be. like the boathouse because, as we've mentioned, Saigon is crazy. It's noisy. It's busy, hmm. and it's difficult to get out of Saigon because it is so big and it's such a metropolis. Yeah. And sometimes you can just be like, I just need to get out, but you can't. And then one day I realized, let's go to the boathouse. Yeah. And you get there and it's serene and it's by the river exactly. and it's calm and there's no beeping and. Yeah, it's a good spot. So that's now like my go-to place if like I just need to get out, but I can't go anywhere. Nice. <laughs> like boathouse kind of fills that. Yeah. Fills that uh, need. Um. Now I mean, maybe we've covered this, but why do you stay in Saigon? 
I think we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, they pay me to drink beer. Yeah, it's good enough reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason I asked that is just because maybe, and then you've kind of said you didn't find that you haven't had as many challenges, but I find a lot of expats you speak to, and even locals, it is a challenging environment to live in. Sure. And so that's the reason I ask is why do you stay? Because I know for me, there's a kind of story to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've been saying this for a while. Like, if if I find a place that I like more <laughs> in my travels, then maybe I'll move there. But so far, Saigon's been it. Fair enough. It's a good answer. Uh, what one thing would you change about Saigon? Nothing. No, yeah. I mean, I was thinking of something about, you know, the traffic police or the, the petty theft that happens. But, like, you know, every city has its its good and its bad. And you got to kind of take, take it all as a piece. Um, I mean, I love it here. There's nothing I would change. Fair enough. And what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about Saigon? Um, just from like you said before from people who haven't been here that it's uh, you know that it's it's this underdeveloped you know war torn place and you know obviously there's a there's that history here um, but yeah people don't people who've never been here probably don't realize what what a great city Saigon is and Hanoi as well to a certain extent <laughs> there is that rivalry every every country's got to have two cities that yeah. have a rivalry right like sure. you can't not uh, so talking about the boathouse and getting out of town what's your favourite place to get out of town uh, Hoi An uh, it's it's so different from Saigon in in, in, in all the nice ways um, just quiet peaceful uh, it's the only place in Vietnam I could see myself maybe moving to someday, but that would be way down the road. Um, yeah, it's I've been all over Vietnam, and Hoi definitely my my second favorite place after Saigon. Last question. Mm. What advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of, of living here? Come, do it. Any, if you have any... Any, uh, any idea that you might want to move here, just go for it. It's amazing. Nice. And so let's just finish up there then. So thank you so much. Um, what's next then for Pasto? Like I said, we've got a, a, our first place in Hoi An coming soon. Um, probably looking for another one in uh, in Hanoi or Saigon after that. Um, yeah, we just, we're still focused on, uh, on the domestic market. Uh, you know, Vietnam is our home. It's where we live. It's what we love. Um, yeah, and we've been getting back to export as well recently. Uh, yeah, I don't want to reveal too many uh, <laughs> long-term plans, um, but yeah, just keep pumping out good beers. Uh, you know, get get them around to the people who want them, and just keep expanding. Awesome! Well, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. It's yeah. been really interesting. It's good to chat to you, huh. and thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of Seven Million Bites Saigon Podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of 7 Million Bites, a Saigon podcast. Thanks to Michelle for joining me today. And a massive thank you as always to Lewis Wright for composing our theme tune and Lei Wynn for designing our cover art, which you can see on our Facebook page and the website 7millionbikes.com. If you want to get in touch, then you can send me a message on Facebook or you can email me at 7millionbikes at gmail.com. You can listen to future episodes on the website or on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify and iTunes. If you can leave us a review on iTunes, that would be massively helpful. It helps the podcast be more visible so that more people can listen and hopefully enjoy it as much as you are. 
So thanks again for listening and I hope you can tune in for further episodes. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.